Thanks, Kathy. <clears throat> well, we're going to uh, have a look closely at that passage together. It would be helpful if you had it open in front of you or in your Bible, however you like to look at it. <clears throat> and you'll find a sermon outline as well if you'd like to, to write anything down again. Up to you. Inside the uh, booklet that you would have received. <clears throat> and, and as we look at this passage, uh, I'm going to pray for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Loving God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Help us now to see uh, what Jesus did and, and taught and said uh, in Luke chapter 5 and help us to understand and know how it comes to change us, affect us, and help us to grow uh, in love and knowledge of you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, so I thought I'd begin. We're on the topic of fish. I want a show of hands. Who likes seafood? Who, who doesn't? If you like it, put your hand up. If you hate it, <laughs> I love it. Sorry, Kat. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised. It's usually a bit more polarizing than that, but that's all right. We'll forgive you. <laughs> um, I, I love fish. Uh, last, a few weeks ago, actually, we had um, uh, some store-bought barramundi and some rainbow trout, and Theo loves fish too, and he enthusiastically helped me cook it on the coals. But when, uh, I, when we bought the fish, he was very disappointed that we didn't have his favorite which is, has to be freshly caught trevally. Um, funny boy, he loves that kind of stuff. And in lots of encounters that we read in the Bible, in the early stuff of Jesus, we see fish are actually involved, and quite a lot of it, or more specifically, should we say, fishing. Um, the area was surrounded by water. Uh, they used boats. Uh, fishing was a very uh, popular way to make a living and sell your fish to be able to provide other stuff for your family. And you might be thankful, uh, if you don't like seafood, that uh, we don't need to worry about eat, whether we have to eat fish or not because it's not prescribed by us from the Lord Jesus. But what we do see is that uh, fishing helps us to know uh, what it's like to actually get close to God and to respond to his word in a kind of strange way because we see that's what happens to a couple of fishermen. And by God's love and amazing kindness, it doesn't only happen to fishermen, but it happens to us as well, if we want to draw close uh, to God and follow the Lord Jesus. You see, over the past couple of weeks, we've been seeing how Jesus went about at the beginning of his public ministry in Luke chapters 3 to 6. He went around preaching and teaching from God's word. He healed the sick. He drove out demons and he taught people with authority you know, from the Bible. But of course, we need to remember that there was no New Testament back then. <laughs> He was, right. he was preaching with authority from the Old Testament. And today we see he's doing more of the same. And if you have a look with me at verse 1, we see that news spread about him to the surrounding countryside where people were crowding around him to listen to this teaching, to listen to God's word as he explained it to them with authority. In fact, it seems the crowd was so large that Jesus, he needed some space. Okay, he's Maybe his uh, personal space was being invaded and he decided, I need to get further out. Or maybe he just needed a better microphone system. And so a boat on the shore would have served as that purpose, an archaic form of technology. Uh, so there are two boats nearby that Jesus could use, along with fishermen who were washing their nets after a night of fishing. Now, I don't know if you guys like fishing. I love fishing. I'm, I'm, I love uh, putting the rod in the water. But it's pretty easy for us 
You get your bait, you get your hook, you get your line, your rod and your reel, you go out, you can do a spot of fishing, come back and wash it, and you're done. It's very easy, it's very simple, it's very relaxing most of the time, unless you don't catch anything, then it's frustrating. But I never have that problem, of course. Uh, and, but th these guys, when they fished, they did not use a rod and reel. They used very heavy nets. And so fishing was manual labour. They had to toss these nets into the water, wait for it to sink to the ground, and then haul them back up and hope that there would be a catch of fish within the nets. And then they would have to do that repeatedly, uh, either until the time for fishing was over, because they fished in the night, as any good fisherman will tell you is the best time to fish. Uh, and they would keep doing that constantly. Uh, it was tough, and it was grueling work, and that's the context in which Jesus comes across these fishermen. Uh, I can, you can picture it. They've got their nets laid out onto the shore and they were washing them from the night that they had just been doing fishing. So this is the end of their working day. Uh, and Jesus comes along with them while he's teaching uh, from the crowd. And he asks the, these fishermen who have just had this tough night's work uh, if he could use the boat as a makeshift stage. And when he's done, that's when things get really interesting. So that's kind of the frame for what we see today as we dive into this passage. And we're going to have three points which you can see. We're going to see that actually getting close to God hurts. And that might not be something that you expect to see. We also see that our secondly, when we get close to God, we obey his word. And almost ironically, we get closer to God by obeying his word. And then finally, we'll see that actually getting close to God does change us. And you see, when we combine these, we come to the inescapable conclusion that actually getting close to God is going to hurt. It means responding to him, and it means following him. So, let's explore together why actually getting close to God hurts. Uh, and I don't know about you, this, isn't, this is something that it does not come naturally to me to think this way, because we think we want to try and get away from pain as much as possible, don't we? Uh, especially in our world today, uh, we think pain has no meaning or is, takes away from meaning and pleasure is where it's at. And uh, you may have heard people say, uh, you know, if you want to avoid getting hurt, never get close to anyone. Uh, it's it's kind of true, but you're going to hurt yourself in the long run because that's not a very healthy way to go about things. But that old adage kind of holds true for God too, at least for our relationship with God. Uh, the Christian preacher, Tim Keller, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's, he's an excellent preacher. He says, whenever we think of God, and more specifically, when we think of getting close to God, or we think of people who we think are close to God, you know, our, our gut reaction is we think they're close to God because, you know, maybe they have warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, we think that you're meant to have some kind of experience that metaphorically kind of lifts us to the clouds, or maybe an out-of-body experience. Or, or something along those lines, something kind of hyper-spiritual in that way of thinking. Uh, and we think, if your life is together, maybe you are close to God too. If you don't have any pain and suffering, maybe that means you have some good faith there and God is kind of blessing you out of that. But we're reminded here that that's not how the Bible describes people getting close to God. And in fact, that's not only the way it doesn't describe it, the, op the complete opposite is true. Let me give you some examples. 
So later this year, uh, after Easter and after a, a little series, we're going to spend some time looking at Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, but Genesis 1 to 11, I'm sure many of you know the story of Adam and Eve uh, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You know, they, eat, they, were, they were created good and then they ate the fruit that they were not meant to. And when they got found out, do you remember what they did? They hid from God, didn't they? Why do you think they did that? Well, because they knew after what they did, if they were to get close to God, it was going to hurt. And it did, didn't it? As we see what happens further in Genesis 3 onwards. Or I'll give you another example. Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. It's right after God's people Israel get the Ten Commandments. And when they knew God was drawing near, listen to what they say. They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. You see, they were afraid of getting close to God. Or think of the person, Job, uh, whom following and drawing near to God, it cost him everything. And it's the same in today's passage and it's the same for us too. See, let's start with a passage. We see Peter experiencing the same thing. And now, uh, just a word, you might, it's the kind of passage interchanges between Simon and Peter. They're the same person. Okay, so Peter is the name that Jesus gives to him, uh, which you can look at. I think it's in Luke chapter 6 later, verse 8. Um, he gives him the name Peter because it means rock. But Simon seems to be his given name, so he's known as Simon or Simon Peter or just Peter. They're the same guy, just to clear up any confusion. Uh, but let's look at verses 5 to 9 and see Peter's or Simon Peter's response uh, to Jesus. See, Jesus says, put out into deep water, okay, once he's finished preaching, and let the nets down for a catch. And at this point, we're think Peter's probably thinking, We've just been working all night long. In fact, we don't even know, need to say he's probably thinking. We can see what he says in verse 5. We've worked hard all night long. We haven't caught anything. Okay, that's what he's thinking. What's this guy on about? It's the daytime. There's not going to be any fish, that, enough fish for us to kind of make it worth keep working. We've just been working all night long. But presumably, Peter calls him a respectful term master there. That's like sir if you wanted to kind of make it into modernish English. Uh, presumably, he's heard what's happened with the demons and with the sicknesses in Capernaum from last week. And it seems that Peter must have reached an inescapable conclusion, that this Jesus, he must be someone special. He must in some way be sent by God or be on a mission by God or, or even have divine power. We're not in the mind of Peter. We can't exactly say uh, what was going on with him or what he was thinking about who Jesus is. But the very least, we can see that he didn't think Jesus was any ordinary person. That clearly he was sent by God and has God's power. And we see uh, in verse 8, you know, once that miraculous catch of fish happens, what Peter's real reaction is when it becomes personal. See what it says? He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You see his reasoning there? He tells Jesus to go away because of his own sin. And I think this is the key to helping us understand why getting close to God hurts. See, in the presence of God, Peter, does he get the warm, fuzzy feelings? No. 
He's made deeply uncomfortable as he comes to terms with who he is versus what he's meant to be like. And I think that's what being in the presence of God does. Helps us to realise what we are compared to what we ought to be. And definitely who God is and the way he is. Um, And I think that's because Peter recognises something fundamental about himself that's very hard for us to admit. Do you see it there in verse, the end of verse 8? Lord, I am a sinful man. I wonder if you find it hard to admit that. I certainly do. You see, I think if we feel close to God, maybe we do, maybe you don't. I don't know. But if you do, but don't feel comfortable about yourself when you feel close to God, then perhaps we're not really close to God at all. Perhaps we're close to a God that we've made up in our own minds. Perhaps we've done like many do and create a God who we think is right. A God in our own image rather than us being in his image. And I think as we've seen in this example... And as our own experience attests, when we get close to someone, doesn't it leave us vulnerable? Doesn't it leave us open to being hurt? Isn't it the people who love us most and we love most, aren't they the most hurtful towards us when something goes wrong? And don't we feel that much more than if a random stranger threw an insult your way? And I think that's what's happening here in this passage. And I think Luke wants us to experience that as well. It means realising who we are, what we've done, and how we relate to God. And you see what Peter's gut reaction is. He wants to flee. It's uncomfortable to be in God's presence. It's uncomfortable for him. So what happens? Should we flee? Should we just run away? Should we close ourselves off? Is it bad to get near to God? But look how Jesus Responds at the end of verse 10. He says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In other words, yes, getting close to me hurts. This is Jesus speaking, of course. Getting close to me hurts. But I want everyone to get close to me. Don't be afraid. And this is when he says, Don't be afraid. It moves us from being in the presence of God from pain to comfort. You see, the truth of the matter is when we become believers in Jesus, we actually are in God's presence. We do get close to God. We can come to him and we don't have to run away. And it should hurt. It should hurt because we have to realize the truth about ourselves and our deep need for Jesus in the first place. But this is the thing. When we get close to God, we also realize how attractive he is because of who he is. You know, we don't follow him because of what we get out of it. We don't even follow him because he saves us, although that might be true initially. We get close to God and we realize there can be no other way to be. We need to be close to him. But we're reminded that it's not easy. It's not easy because of how to do it, what we have to admit about ourselves, and because how that makes us feel. But there's great comfort as well. Because Jesus says to those who get closer, at least to Peter in this passage, he says, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. And you see, in God's wisdom, we actually see in this passage how we get close to him. And it's by recognising Jesus and obeying his word that Peter and the others, the sons of Zebedee, become Jesus' followers. And so as they do that, they do draw near to God. They do enter his presence. And we see their response in these fishermen's case when they leave everything and they follow Jesus. And so I think it's worth for us reflecting a little bit and think about what does it mean to get close to God for us? Do you see that it's meant to take us, it's meant to hurt us to get close to him because it's meant to make us see the truth of who we are as people, the truth of our own sin in other words, but then also it doesn't leave us there feeling miserable and horrible and helpless. You see what Jesus turns Peter into? A fisher of people. And so being in God's presence is also very comforting once we've experienced our pain and hurt. When we realise time and time again the deepness of our sin, but the deepness of God's forgiveness and Jesus' love for you, that he constantly upholds you, forgives you, and calls you his child. That's how we know we're getting close to God, I think, when we experience those things. But we haven't really experienced how uh, we do that, just what <laughs> it is. And I think we get a clue, though, in verse 1. Uh, you see, what it says is the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Isn't this the underpinning of everything Jesus says? And this kind of leads us to our second point, that when we get close to God, we obey his word, but we also get closer to God by obeying his word. It's meant to be confusing because it sounds cyclical, doesn't it? It sounds like a cycle where one doesn't necessarily start the other. Um, <clears throat> over my years as a pastor, I've been asked a number of times, I can't... I, I've lost count how many. I don't feel connected. Someone might come up to me and say, I don't feel connected from God. I feel far from him. How do I fix that? How do I feel connected? How do I get closer? And the answer is, we need to obey God's word. And that's how we get closer to God. We get closer to God by obeying his word and we get closer by obeying his words. It's, it sounds circular, but it's not. It's actually more like a spiral, right? A circle has no beginning and no end, but a spiral does, doesn't it? So to get our heads around this, let's look at how Peter responds to what would have been an inane request by Jesus, I think. Have a look in verse 2, and we see that the fishermen, uh, you know, I remember I told you it's manual, lots of manual labor for this fishing, uh, and they'll clean their nets after a long session. And then in verse 4, Peter, Jesus tells them to get back to work. Toss your nets back in for a catch. And they've already just finished cleaning up or close to it. You can imagine what they were thinking. We've done this before. We know what we're doing. Or what would you know? You're no fisherman. But Peter, I think, as we explored earlier, he, perhaps knowing that when Jesus spoke, it is with authority, he complies. But if you think about it, he has no real reason to toss the nets into the water apart from the fact that Jesus asked him. Isn't that the case? The only reason he had to throw it in the water was that Jesus asked. He knew he, they worked all night. He knows fishing is best done at night. 
He's just finished cleaning up. There is no logical reason why he should throw his nets back into the water except that Jesus asked him. And I think that's the key. The only reason Peter had to put the nets in the water was actually the best reason. It's because Jesus said to do it. And for Peter, that seemed to be enough of a reason. You know, he didn't sit there and weigh the pros and cons. He didn't think to himself, well, it might satisfy your curiosity, or or you might think that's right, but what do I get out of it? He just does it because he's recognized something special about this man, and by extension, by what what he says to Peter. You know, it's not necessarily the content of the word here that Peter's grappling with, as good as that is, but it's who spoke it. It's who said it. Uh, And I like to think of this example as a bit like a handmade card. Has anyone ever received, you know, you get your nice cards, maybe a thank you card or something, but you know when someone makes you a card, especially a young person? I mean, I've got four young kids, so I get these made cards all the time. And you can ask, I'm not a sentimental person at all. You may have guessed that. Um, I don't keep things, definitely not cards. Uh, but there is one thing I've kept from my, the kid, that the kids have made me. I do literally mean one thing. And that is Theo for Father's Day last year. He, he knows I like practical things. He got me a notebook and he decorated it on the front and said, Happy Father's Day, love from Theo. And a pen, which you can kind of take apart, put a paper inside that's decorated and says, Happy Father's Day, love from Theo. And I love those gifts and I keep them. <laughs> They're very useful. And I treasure them. Uh, hopefully you're not as non-sentimental as me. And you know what I'm talking about when you receive a card from a loved one, uh, maybe a son, a daughter, uh, maybe a grandchild, uh, maybe a niece or nephew. And, uh, you know, you keep that card and you think, I love this card. Not because it's of high quality. We know they're not. The manufactured cards are much better just when we're thinking purely in terms of the quality of production. But that manufactured commercial card, with all its quality, is nothing compared to the one that's been handmade for you. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because you love the person giving it to you, don't you? You love what it represents. It represents that person and their love for you. And I think in the same way that this miracle of Jesus here, this miraculous catch of fish... It's not here to show us that Jesus is a better fisherman than the actual fisherman. It's not here to tell us that Jesus is going to provide food for us. But it's here because we want to remember our second point. We get close to God by obeying his word. Because we love and treasure the one who speaks. Okay, That's what Peter did and he was commended for it. God's word is powerful and we ought to listen to, the, to him when he speaks. I tell you, you might think, isn't that just circular logic and reasoning? Doesn't that lead us to becoming mindless drones if we just, you know, have to follow God's word all the time? But I think that's not quite the case. It is an important question. We do need to say, isn't this just circular? But I think the question is basically asking, can Jesus be so good... That we know whatever he says, it's worth doing? Isn't that the real question we have to ask about when his word speaks to us? Is he so good that no matter what he says, we know 
it's worth doing. We might not be able to see it in the instant, but we know it's worth doing. It's like that card, right? And that's why the hard work needs to be done, of course, knowing whether Jesus is good. Um, And that's something that we do every week here at church, especially as we're exploring this early ministry of Jesus in Luke chapters 3 to 6. But I think when we do look and when we do that hard work, that doesn't just take 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, a sermon, a sermon series even. It takes exploring God's word regularly. And I think when we do that, we come to the inescapable conclusion that Jesus is the loving, kind, generous and good Son of God who only wants what's best for us, who only wants us to draw near to himself, to draw near to God. You know, we've seen his credentials. We've looked at them in the past few weeks. We've seen his baptism by the Spirit. We've seen the divine pronouncement of God saying, this is my Son whom I love. We've seen his love for the sick and for the possessed and his overcoming of the devil, of Satan, and even his rejection by those who knew him best in his hometown. Of course, that's only just scratching the surface, isn't it? But if we conclude that Jesus is who he claims to be, then we need to accept everything he says and not just kind of reason it away. And I think that means for us, uh, when we think about whether we do want to get close to God, whether we want to obey his word or not, whether we want to weigh up every single situation, whether or not we want to live as God tells us, means we don't look for a way out. We don't look at what we can get out of it. But we want to do it like a mother receiving that handmade card from her child. But in this case, it's even better because both the card and the person who gave you the card, the speaker and the word, are unparalleled in goodness and beauty. And what that means for us is that as we grow closer to God, we treasure his word more and we listen to it. And this is the cyclical part. And when we do that, we actually grow closer to God. Do you see how it works? As we grow closer to God, we treasure his his word more and we listen to it. And that makes us grow closer to God. And yes, there will be times where that's uncomfortable, where that hurts. But we remember the words of Jesus in verse uh, 10. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And then let's wrap up with our third and final point, the thing that makes this all possible, the fact that actually getting close to God changes us. And we see how it's changed Peter in this example, right? What he does in verse 11 is actually nothing short. You think it's amazing, right? You think he pulled up their nets, they left their boats, and they just followed Jesus. But in all honesty, what he's done there is nothing short of what every Christian person has done. Isn't it? When we trust in Jesus, or when we come to trust in Jesus, we leave everything behind and we follow him. But, that being said, Peter still is a person who finds it uncomfortable to be close to God. He's still working things out. Later, we hear his doubts. We know how he denies Jesus when it comes to the crucifixion. And, but, but by the t- and he, has a, he sinks to a very low low, doesn't he? But by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, he's preaching to thousands and many are turning back to God because of it. And we need to ask ourselves, what is the difference? It's the same guy. Well, Jesus is the difference. It's obedience to God's word. That's the difference. It's him drawing closer to God. That's the difference. And you see how it's hurt him. 
but we can also see how it's changed him. How can it not? See, if you're a Christian, it means you've been changed from someone who's a sinner, from someone who has saved, and now both at the same time as well. It means you've admitted, admitted that getting close to God hurts because when we become Christians, it reveals our deepest needs, our need to get close to God, our need to be saved by him. But I think it also means that we've realized this is actually the only right way to respond, to live. And the thing that comforts us, as Jesus reminds us, is that any pain, discomfort or hurt that we may experience in following God is completely overshadowed by the enormity of his love for us. You know, Jesus, the one who is Lord of all, tells his companions in our text today that he's going to make them fish for people, that he will catch people, not to kind of, as fishermen would do, cook them and eat them or, or sell them, but to save them. He will catch them, saving them from sin and death and making them to be his people, people who follow and grow closer to their Lord. And as we finish, I wonder if you'd think with me for a moment, what causes Peter to change what prompts that spark in him? It's such a simple answer, isn't it? It's so obvious. But we know how hard it is to actually let that sink in. It's, it's God's word. It's Jesus telling him to follow him. It's obeying when Jesus said, chuck the nets back in after your hard night of fishing. It's listening to the teaching and coming to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, the Saviour. And if we fast forward, it's, it's when he disobeys God's word and denies Jesus. If you are familiar with the experience where the rooster crows and he hear that he experiences the most pain. And then again, when he sees Jesus after his resurrection, the pain gives way back to joy as he re-enters God's presence. And then it moves further even into confidence in God's word as he preaches to the people. But we're all not Peter, are we? <laughs> That's one example of one person's life. But the trajectory of Peter's life is the same as the trajectory of ours, isn't it? God's word changes us. Getting close to God hurts. But he loves you and he comforts you when you enter his presence. Painful though it may be. As he changes you from someone who is a sinner to saved from someone who is now also able to go out and help other people to get close to God too. Let's pray. Loving God, as we look at this passage, we realise it's deeply an emotional one. And we ask, Lord, as we consider it, as we respond to it, that you would help us to draw closer to you, painful though that may be. We thank you that you have comforted us through the death of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. We thank you that you've showed your great love for us and you draw us into a relationship with you. Help us to obey your word and in so doing be changed to get closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.